It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day and welcome back to the Two Jacks. I've been away for a couple of weeks dealing with some family stuff, uh, CRP. Ish uh, CRP followers will know what that's all about. <clears throat> Our patrons as well. Uh, family bereavement. My mother passed away uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I've been down in Melbourne, back and forth a few times, funerals and those sorts of things. So do apologise. We've been off the air for a little while. Uh, joining me as usual is Hong Kong Jack. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Uh, rest in peace to Auntie Jennifer. Um, yes, indeed. Yeah, she was a, just a, a wonderful woman uh, and uh, we gave her a good send-off last week. Um, how are things in Hong Kong today, mate? Uh, oh, pretty good. I'm still actually giggling from uh, a story I heard on uh, uh, Thursday or Friday this week. A, uh, a bloke I know quite well here who is a Pakistani. Um, right. Uh, um, uh, raised in Hong Kong, boarding school in Bangalore, but very much a Pakistani. Um, and, of course, he's a Muslim. Um, uh, but he does work in the uh, uh, food and beverage industry here. In fact, in the beverage end of the food and beverage uh, uh, industry, he's a wholesaler. And uh, he was heading off to Toronto for a wedding, a family wedding, one of his cousins over there. And he says, oh, look, it'll be a traditional Pakistani thing um, on the inside of the wedding venue. Uh, he says, but out in the car park, we'll have what we call uh, car bars. So um, uh, uh, my cousin's mates, each of them will, will have been given an instruction. You do the beer car, uh, you do the, um, uh, uh, the mixed drinks car, uh, uh, and you do the wine car. Another bloke does the cigarette car. Right. Open, so, open bar in the car park. <laughs> open bar in the car park. Yeah, um, very good. A dry wedding that is also a bit wet if you know where to go. Yeah, yeah. so you just got to admire the um, ingenuity of our multicultural society, I think. There you go. Um, look, while, while, while we've been absent, uh, there was a by-election in Fadden, uh, Gold Coast seat, and uh, it uh, needed a 10% swing for it to change hands, and that did not occur. Um, uh, Stuart Robert, the re retiring member, uh, it was thought that there might have been some reaction uh, to him from uh, from the locals there, but it didn't happen, and they won the seat fairly comfortably. Any lessons to be learned from that, Jack? Uh, just one, I think, is that um, uh, uh, post the last federal election, the Liberals hadn't reached the bottom uh, for a very simple reason, is that a lot of voters, um, uh, most voters, I think, had had enough of the Liberals and thought they should go, but they were a bit cautious about Labor. And after the election, uh, they discovered two things, that the Labor government wasn't as bad as they thought it might have been, and the Liberal government had been much, much worse than they thought it might have been, um, uh, with all the revelations about Scott Morrison. And so they continued to fall... Um, uh, in public perception, and therefore, and, and that's why they lost the Aston by-election. But Fadden would indicate that at least they have kind of bottomed out. Well, a couple of things. They spent six hundred and thirty thousand uh, dollars 
which is an extraordinary amount of money um, uh, to, to inject into a by-election, one yeah. that uh, really wasn't going to go any other way. There was a very low voter turnout too, Jack. There are a few fines being issued uh, there uh, from the AEC as we go very, very low voter turnout for the by-election. A few, well, well, rather rather than say fines, there'll be some people writing some humbling letters of apology uh, in order to avoid fines. Uh, and in the end, um, uh, the Liberal primary vote was, you know, was not that high. I mean, I, I just don't think we we're going to learn too much out of this, other than uh, it was very, very important for Peter Dutton's leadership for there to be a reasonable showing. In, our, in Fadden, not Aston, in Fadden. Yeah, it, it's no more than a reasonable showing. It just shows that he's kind of stopped the bleeding. Um, so th- th- there's a long way to rebuild from there, but he has actually found the bottom, I think. Yeah, in Queensland, I'd say. And, and, and it probably augurs not all that well for Anastasia Palaszczuk. Uh, I think they've got the work ahead of them uh, to be re-elected next year. For, um, much the, for much the same reason as the Morrison government went, they've been around for a long time and people are a bit tired of them. Yeah, they have been around for a long time. And, and Queensland is uh, the LNP heartland, you'd have to say, across Australia. Um, uh, nowhere else, nowhere else anyway, where they have that same number of seats federally. Um, the voice, Jack. It, um, it, it, it is these prob- days. It is these days. Uh, when I was a young fella, uh, the, Victoria was the beating heart of the Liberal Party. Yeah, indeed. That's how much things have changed. I wrote recently about, I mean, look, the, the, the Balti Hamer years <laughs> extended for almost three decades. Mm. Um, and uh, I was looking at, at Dan and, Andrews. And Balti, Balti, Balti was elected as kind of a stopgap. Yeah, yeah, initially. And... And I was looking because Dan's, I, I, I qualified in a in a column on Friday. Dan's the, the premier who's actually increased his majority uh, since being elected the first time, I think in twenty fourteen, and and uh, and then to increase his majority twice. I looked at Rand, he didn't. Looked at Carr, he didn't. And I couldn't go b- back any further. But I suspect probably Sir Henry Bolte did it. But yes. Um, that's but I, uh, I just stuck with modern political history. So, um, so Dan is one of those rare creatures who has actually increased his majority all the way, and that's largely because the Liberal Party is in disarray. But let's move on to the voice, Jack. Uh, I just want to say that uh, talking to a few people who are in the business of promoting the yes position, and I won't mention their names, having chats with them over the weekend, uh, they are very, very... Um, uh, depressed, I would say they are. They are thinking that uh, they can't win. Yeah, well, I, it, it's it's many many months now since I since I've thought that. But yes, I'm, I'm not well, saying they can't. I'm not saying they can't win. It's unlikely they win. Uh, it, it seems unlikely to me. And when we talk about Queensland, I, I mentioned to uh, one of the uh, propo- one of the proponents of the voice. They are, as I say, you know. Um, uh, deeply pessimistic um, uh, and I look at Queensland and Western Australia, I look at Queensland and think they won't get more than 40% um, uh, somewhere around that area and then in WA probably somewhere about the same, 42, maybe 43. So it will depend on some very, very good showings in the um, 
uh, in the two major states, and uh, and and surprises in in South Australia or, or Tasmania um, to uh, to get the yes vote up. So it's it's not looking good. I noticed Noel Pearson wrote last week that he was starting to feel some optimism about it and there is an Australia Institute poll showing that 52% of Australians support the yes position. Um, Again, if you're going to be pessimistic, you would say that's not high enough. Uh, Firstly, it's not high enough. Um, On an Australia-wide poll, for the thing to succeed, it's going to need more than 52% Australia-wide. Secondly, if you, I did a deep dive into that, um, into their method on, on that, and the, the bottom line said results are shown only for larger states. Um, so, what, what, what's a larger state? Um, well, Not Tasmania? Larger, or no, I don't think so. It should spell <laughs> it out. It, I, I think it's New South Wales and Victoria. Um, uh, so, if it, you well, 50, it, it, it sounds like that, and uh, and and that figure should probably, if it was New South Wales and Victoria, that figure probably should be higher. So, I'd question that again. But when you do look at and this is a good thing for our listeners to know. When you do look at a poll, <coughs> excuse me, we, the, the methodology should be published. Yes. Uh, and, and you can look at it. And the methodology of a poll like this should include specific uh, numbers of states uh, where people were polled from. It should just say, well, we're just the major states. So who, who are the major states? Or well, Western Australia might think, well, we're the major state. We're a major state. Nobody, um, nobody else does, but they might. <laughs> Well, you know, they contribute quite a bit of their mineral wealth and export wealth. Um, they could make a very good case for being a major state. But, yeah, those things need to be spelled out. And when they're not, you're entitled to be a bit sceptical about the polling itself. Yeah. So two things. One, the number's not high enough anyway. And two, if it does come from New South Wales and Victoria, it's probably too It's low. actually bad news, yeah. 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 Uh, a news poll... Uh, is is sort of showing an unreputable poll, of course. News poll is actually showing um, uh, that uh, that the voice has problems, in, particularly in, <laughs> shall we say, the minor states, Jack. Um, so so, so do, I, do, do I insert a Mandy Rice Davies now and say, well, he would say that? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like, uh, uh, as I said, uh, my, my pessimistic... Uh, uh, mate who, uh, who who has argued long and long and loud for the uh, for the voice um, he looks at uh, Queensland and, and WA as unwinnable uh, the LM uh, sorry the, the news poll has got uh, South Australia Tasmania also in the minority with the major states shall we call them New South Wales Victoria uh, having a majority uh, opinion there Um <clears throat> that doesn't seem to have changed, but I guess now we have a campaign. Uh, the 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 the, um, uh, the voice yes campaign is going to be short and sharp. Uh, I suspect it needs to be a little bit longer and a little bit more protracted and explaining why uh, why this is necessary. I gave it my best shot um, last Friday week talking about uh, why, why reconciliation is important, not just for Indigenous Australians, but for for all of us um, to understand that uh, this sort of uh, a yes vote here will, will lead to a certain peace among the country, a peace uh, uh, reconciled with itself and, and its history, um, which is uh, one of those things that they're avoiding, that the... the Yes, I know a no proposition allows you to sort of basically knock off, take negative 
take a negative view and basically knock off the um, uh, piece by piece uh, why why the why why uh, why the voice is important. And it seems to me that the yes camp is actually falling into that trap and should be arguing a completely different line. Uh, that's my view anyway, um, <clears throat> not basically responding to the no camp. I'd also say the no camp got caught with a bit of nonsense, Jack, uh, publishing a bit of bit of bullshit that they uh, have had to take down. Uh, there was a so-called Lingi- Lingiari grandson who wasn't a Lingiari grandson, uh, popped up on Twitter there by... Um, by Warren Mundine and others, and uh, the, the, the tweets remained there for a long time after it was exposed. And and then there was a bit of a hullabaloo about uh, uh, Greg Craven being misquoted in a pamphlet published by the No Case. Um, uh, he says not misquoted, quoted out of context. Yeah, out of context. And um, and Warren Mundine, oh, gee, Warren Mundine's been busy on the keyboard, mate. I reckon he's written about 25 op-eds about this last, mm. last month or, or so. Or, or the same op-ed 25 times. <laughs> what do you reckon? You just change, change the start and change the conclusion? Just, no, just like, change a few words the, and then bang the, it in? The, 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 there is a familiarity about them if you read them. You know, I've stopped yeah. reading them now. Yeah. yeah, look, my view, listeners, is... Uh, the voice needs to, um, uh, or the proponents of the voice, need to uh, speak to White Australia about why reconciliation is important and why they think this is the best vehicle for it, rather than responding to the no case. The no case can just, it's an easy thing. Politically, it's an easy thing. You can just pick it off here, there and everywhere. Um, But they need to, but I think the yes proponents need to uh, call upon the sentiment, the heart of Australians. Uh, meanwhile, well, Jack, well, 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 all of the onus is on the yes case. There's no onus on the no case at all. If you're trying to change the constitution, you bear the onus of persuading yeah, that's people. That's yeah. just it. So, and, well, you know, and, we'll, we'll, and, and we'll, I don't we'll, think we'll the change these things forever, and we'll never be able to change them, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, concerns about the High Court becoming involved. Well, the High Court, High Court interprets the constitution on a routine basis. I mean, that, that's just again not not. Uh, not, not, uh, uh, not, not a basis for, for concern as far as as far as I, I gather. But um, yeah, look, I, I just think we need to uh, to appeal to the heart of Australians, to the hearts, uh, and leave. There, 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 was, uh, there was there was a time to do alone. that. There was a time to do that to appeal to the heart of Australia, and that was when they were putting the proposal together. Um, and it, nothing that the campaign can do, as far as I can see, can save the problems which uh, go right back to the beginning, which is they didn't take Australia with them when they were designing the thing. It's a, it's a complete waste of opportunity. Uh, I'm not sure how that could have happened, but I mean, I'm not sure what you, what what that could have involved. Would, would that have have Involve, for example, perhaps a sort of um, a, a con- constitutional convention, that sort of thing? There's a whole lot of ways you could have done it. What they needed to do was to come up with a proposal that was likely to get much wider support than the proposal that they did. Um, and they didn't do that, um, and it was doomed to fail, I think, right, about, right from that moment on. Right. Well, the Commonwealth Games, Jack. They're not coming to town. They, they have been cancelled by the Dan Andrews government. Um, 
the 2026 Commonwealth Games due to be due to hold events in places like Maui, in places like Morwall, in places like Ballarat and Bendigo, uh, has uh, they've pulled the pin on it. Um, uh, a mate of mine used to work down in Maui and always referred to it as Chernobyl. <laughs> That's not very nice at all. And we do apologise to our listeners from to both, Maui. both our listeners in Maui, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, now, look, it... it, it, it it seems to me to be the right the, the, the right response if what Dan says is true that the, the cost had blown out from a two point six budgeted figure to somewhere between six and seven, then something like that you couldn't really go with. The the previous Commonwealth Games uh, held in Melbourne cost two point six and dragged in one point nine. Um, so you're losing on these things, and I guess there's a bigger issue about how you go about holding these major events. But let's stick with the politics for the moment, Jack. Um, it just seems like someone, well, uh, it just seems like a, a, the Andrews government really is is starting to just fail in basic communications um, among themselves. So Jacinda Allen, who's the who's the, the relevant minister, how was she communicating to Andrews about uh, about the budget about the budget blowouts on these things that included issues like how how to how to accommodate five thousand athletes in places like Ballarat, Bendigo, and Maui? <laughs> when did she know what it went, what Dan Andrews told the the people of Victoria last week? That's that to me is a huge issue. Uh, I think it goes deeper than that. Uh, Martin Park, who I know you follow on uh, on Twitter, and who's no um, uh, Liberal Party supporter, you can say that out loud. Um, uh, he thinks the problem is deeper than that. It goes back to a government that's been run from one office. Well, my point is that it can't have been run from Dan Andrews' office, Jack, because according to the Australian. He was promoting the games and Victoria's capacity to deliver them on his China tour in March. So if he knew that in March, if he didn't know anything about March, this, this for me really puts a, a spotlight on, on Alan, his deputy, uh, who seems to have just sort of wandered into the office one day and had a look at the costs and gone, gee whiz, I better, better call a Premier on this. This thing's blowing out by more than 100%. Um, everybody who I've spoken to from Victoria um, uh, uh, would find that hard to believe. Um, they think that the um, that the problem in the Andrews government is that it is being run from one office. But she's the minister for Commonwealth Games delivery, Jack. Yeah, now, no, but no, can but I no, ask no, why? No, why nobody, she... I, nobody I speak to thinks that the ministers have any real power down there. So it's all run out of the central office. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem to, I mean, either either that or Dan's been telling porkies. It just doesn't seem to stand up to scrutiny. I mean, obviously they went into the went into a, a, a last politician year. telling porkies face. Yeah, fancy well, that. I, I understand, but 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 it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Obviously, they uh, thought everything was hunky dory and would during a uh, during a political campaign, election campaign in November last year. Uh, so they kept that they kept that whole ball rolling, uh, and um, and then. Uh, uh, and then uh, as late as March, Dan's telling the Chinese that uh, everything's going beautifully 
And uh, now in July, the 17th of July, he gets up in front of uh, a press conference and pulls the pin. Um, it, it, my, my view on this is that it could have been done a lot earlier um, uh, and, um, and, and, and whether it was uh, a central office issue or, or perhaps a failing uh, from Jacinda Allen's point of view uh, to communicate with the Cabinet and the Premier, um, this could have been, I mean, these things could have been anticipated a lot earlier. Yeah. Part of the problem was the design of the thing. Um, yeah. uh, you, you would think that the rural and regional approach would be less expensive, but the reverse is true. It's actually uh, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because you've got to build facilities in the rural and regional areas. You already have those facilities in the city, but you've got to build them out in regional and rural areas. And then think costs of things like security, much, much, much more yeah. if you're spreading people over the whole state. Um, Accommodation you are, security, you've got 5,000 athletes, yeah. you've got um, uh, probably half as many officials to be accommodated. You can't just put them in the Maui Motor in, Jack. Uh, those well, little breakfast they, would, they wouldn't all fit in the Maui motor in this <laughs> part of the right. problem. So you're going to have to, and you're going to have to build arena, uh, arenas um, uh, for competition in places like Ballarat and Bendigo that won't have any financial return for, if ever, for years to come. So I believe there's a perfectly good velodrome. Um, I think it's out in the um, – I think it was built for the last Commonwealth Games um, – out in your old neck of the woods, Coburg Reservoir, out that way somewhere. Oh, yeah, how um, it has been. Yeah, um, uh, that's where the Austral wheel, wheel Race used to be run many, many, time, many years ago. Um, uh, but they were going to build a, a replica, in effect, up in Bendigo. You know? I mean, so yeah. all, all of this costs a lot of unnecessary money. Um, yeah. And the Commonwealth, the Commonwealth Games is not a big enough draw media-wise. You're not going to get a big enough media pay um, to justify doing that all around the state. So the design was wrong in the first place. Um, it's been a shambles. Um, I love on Twitter, uh, Martin Pike again was observing this, that the I stand with Dan people, it, the ones he said who have that tattooed on their calves, um, uh, have been sticking up and saying this was planned all along sort of stuff. Cars or calves? Calves. Calves. Oh, that, yeah. that sounds uh, that sounds painful. Yeah. Um, <coughs> but, yeah. But that's, look, that's that's partisan politics these days. The world is full of barracks on both sides. Yeah. Look, for me, and I wrote about this on Friday. For me, this is um, uh, a, a a bit of a shambles that we'll quickly move on from. Yeah. But there are there. Are, there seem to be some very whatever the reason is. There seem to be some critical failures in admin, in public administration in Victoria. So if you think the Commonwealth Games a bit of a shambles, then start thinking about other really important policy areas and just wonder where they're going. And I get back to the to my original point that if a government has no serious or effective opposition, it tends necessarily to get lazy mm. and start ignoring important processes that lead to good decision-making. Yeah. And what, do you reckon the Liberal Party in Victoria aren't going very well? <laughs> is, that, is, that your, that your, is that your theory? <laughs> Maybe if they had an election on Saturday, they'd probably go backwards even further. Yeah. Uh, they are a shambles. And, and, and we're talking of Victorians, as I obviously have been doing recently, I mean, uh, it's pretty clear to me that Dan's not terribly popular across, uh, across the board. But then 
then there's always this, there's always this, uh, you know, footnote. Uh, oh yeah, the bloody libs, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the the sort of feedback I'm getting, even from sort of pretty rusted on Labor people, is that um, uh, that they have some some concerns about the way the government's being managed. That it's become um, too centric on 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 Dan Dan Andrews. Is it is it beyond our remit, Jack, to sort of look uh, into the uh, uh, the possibility of a 2026 state election would have been in the would have been in the shadows of the Commonwealth Games, Jack. You would have expected mm. Dan might have got a bit of a boost, but um, uh, uh, are there any sort of parallels between the uh, the dying days of the Kane Kerner government and uh, Dan Andrews, the Andrews government, uh, uh, basically now in power for another well, nearly nearly four years, three and a half years. Um, and, uh, and and the wheels really starting to fall off. Well, we'll see if Dan can manage to get 250 trams lined up in Burke Street and Spring Street. You know, that will be a fair test. <laughs> morale, yes, the floggings continued, but morale did not improve mm. uh, in the dying days of the Kane Kerner government check. They had a few, a bit more than that to worry about there, to be well, honest. I, I, the state I, I bank think- bloody collapsed under debt. Um, yeah. Under its yes, uh, the Tricontinental Bank doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, Jack. Yeah, uh, that nothing, was the Merchant nothing, Bank. Nothing can, be, bank. nothing can beat the visuals of all those trams. I think both you and I fled Victoria about the same time, didn't we? It, look, there really was a sense that that Melbourne itself um, had become a diminished place, that it needed a lick of paint and some redesign and some redevelopment. It really was struggling. And, and we got up to Sydney and, uh, and things were, things were, uh, things were going beautifully in Sydney at the time. And it's probably reversed since, if you think about it. When yeah. I go to, when I go to Sydney now, I, I see a, a city in need of a lick of paint and some redevelopment and some smart, uh, some smart, uh, well, I noticed Morris Yem has been uh, named as the uh, as the uh, uh, major or, or events. He's, he's, he's head of events uh, in v- Sydney. Venues now. New South Wales. Venues cool. New South Wales. Thank you very much. Uh, and I think that's a terrific move because uh, Morris uh, Morris understands this business better than just about anybody. And, and he was people. and he was a very good premier. Um, I, can, I can recall when I just before I left uh, Melbourne, I was working in a law office down there, and uh, they'd build a new building next door, which was sort of designed to um, to house medium-sized law firms. Right? Um, so lovely building, all the mod cons, all that sort of stuff. They finished the building in uh, late 1993. Uh, the owners put a padlock around the front door and that was it. It stayed empty for five or six years. Yeah. There was a lot of that going on. I, I, I actually think it has reversed since. And when I yeah. go go to Melbourne CBD now, it's vibrant. You, you go to Sydney CBD on a, on a weekend, mate, it's just about shut, um, except yeah. for the rocks and, you know. Yeah, well, well, they've well killed back, the back, back in the mid '90s, almost no one lived in the in the Melbourne CBD. So no, it's right. It's a different CBD. It is a different Mel, Melbourne. In, uh, Melbourne invites people in Sydney, Sydney, Sydney CBD because it's a very sort of provincialised city or regionalised city. Um, people go to their eastern suburbs or their western suburbs or their uh, or their northern suburbs, and uh, rarely, rarely do they uh, sort of uh, jump in the car and. And and go go one to the CBD or to one of these other regions, you know. Yeah, I had a, I had a friend who um, uh, built himself a like a little um, uh, 
uh, a little house in the in the in the Melbourne CBD. You know, car park down the bottom, house above that, um, and that was considered extremely eccentric. And he had a devil of a time selling it. Uh, <laughs> I bet. Um, and look, I just remember too from my Sydney days that uh, whenever I was. Uh, Invited to go to a party that would involve crossing the bridge or indeed going going through the tunnel, you'd look at it and go, Nah, nah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pub's just around the corner and yeah, send your apologies through. All right, let's get up, move on to energy. We've got a whole lot of stuff to deal with here uh, and uh, we're, we're dealing with the difficulties in terms of the transition to renewables. We've covered this. We have renewables. Um, uh, because we've got this great uh, um, uh, investment globally uh, around getting electricity to parts that have never been, uh, where electricity has never been, and we're talking about uh, rural China, we're talking about India, we're talking about uh, the Middle East, um, uh, that that renewables is barely uh, keeping up with that sort of development, uh, renewable in terms of decarbonising. Um, well, 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 well the, the renewables are growing a little bit faster than the growth in energy, but that yeah, doesn't definitely. mean that doesn't mean they're fast. They're growing fast enough to actually reduce the hydrocarbon uh, proportion of energy very much. Yeah, that, and so that's that's a significant problem, and it is a, a major social problem too, because it's not as if we could turn around to uh, the people in China, people of India, and say, "Well, you can't have electricity." Um, it's down to those countries to try and make it one affordable, and I guess of secondary note is uh, is carbon emitting uh, or carbon emissions. Um, but uh, at the same time, we in the West can't sit back and say, we well, know you can't have electricity. Well, um, we could say that, but they wouldn't be very happy about it. Well, that, that's right. So, I mean, look, there, and there is to a degree a very um, a two-string process to this in terms of various international agreements that acknowledge that the, the West started the Industrial Revolution that kicked off the carbonisation of, of the globe. Um, so... We're going to just move on now, and one of those areas uh, that we do have to look at is carbon credits, Jack. And tell me what Alan Kohler, Alan Kohler spent a couple of, you know, depressing hours looking at uh, uh, the Australian carbon credit units issued by the Clean Energy Regulator. Yeah, um, and what he discovered is that it looks a whole lot like a scam. Yeah, well, keep going. Well, um what they've done is they've sold a whole heap of these carbon credits to farmers in rural and uh, remote um, Australia, um, and they get carbon credits for um, a, a range of things. Reforestation, yeah, tree planting. Tree planting. Soil um, uh, regeneration. Uh, all that sort of stuff, right? The only trouble is there's no way of checking this, no yeah. realistic way of checking this, apart from perhaps looking at a satellite and hoping it works. Um, it was just always, uh, when I can remember when this first started, talking to a couple of blokes from the financial services industry up here, and they work for hedge funds and they were investing in this sort of stuff. And they said to me, how's it going to work? I said, well, they're going to pay some bloke out in um, uh, far western New South Wales to plant a lot of trees. Um, uh, and because he's planting a lot of trees, you get some carbon credits. And their first question was, well, the trees grow. I said, some will, some won't. 
depends on the weather. Um, depends on you know whether what cycle we are in. Well, will the wallabies uh, come along and eat them? Yeah, well, well and, and I said, so who's going to check this? I said, well, nobody will because it's too far away. No one's going to go out there and have a look. Um, I said, what they're going to do is look at the satellite. And that's precisely what's happened. Now they've looked at the satellite, they've discovered that um, the clean energy um, uh, regulator has discovered that um, uh, a great deal, um, uh, a working majority of the of the uh, com- com- uh, farms and stations where the carbon credits have have, um, have been issued have not had an increase in in vegetation. And just uh, so our listeners understand, the qualification for this to receive your carbon credits is ten hectares. So if you've got 10 hectares of land, you can apply Hmm. for carbon credits that in turn can be traded off to, let's say, mining companies, aviation companies, transport companies, etc. So 10 hectares is not a substantial landowning at all. And and if you're whacking a few trees there, uh, um, throw, throw in a bit of fertiliser around the uh, 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 around the place uh, in order to create more and more vegetation. Um, well, you, you're likely to make a lot of money. Um, you're likely to make a lot of money for not very much work. So I suspect a lot of farmers will be well onto this and doing just that. But ten hectares, sorry, yeah, no, that's right. Ten hectares is, 10 hectares, is, is, is the cutoff is the, point. Ten hectares, the minimum. Is the minimum, yeah, and 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 look, that's that's not really a farm. Ten hectares is not really a farm. I mean, you could you could you could run a bit of cattle on it and that sort of stuff, but it's not a, a large piece of large piece of land at all. So yeah, look, we do have this problem too. And and look, my view on this is, and we're going to get to some of the issues around climate change, some of the prevalent issues right now, is that we're going to see a lot of schemes like this develop with good intentions that really don't do much, but basically pass a little bit of public money around. Um, um, but the problem, uh, any anyone who designed this. Um, you'd have to say they didn't have a very good understanding of human nature. Well, it, it, it's again, you, you've got to get around and consult, don't you? You've got to get around. You've got to get around to the farming community, right, and speak mm. to them. Then you've got to talk to those people who are, are going to be the beneficiaries of the carbon credits, the ones who will want to trade in them, because they are, you know, burning a whole whole heap of. Uh, carbon into the atmosphere, whether they're in the mining business or whether they're in the aviation business, for example, um, and yeah, and consult and try and work your way through it. It does seem to be a, a, a case of a Canberra model uh, uh, developed without any sort of real consultation. But we got to the real issues here, Jack, because we might actually be the first group of people in, civil, in the civilised world who are actually uh, looking at... Uh, existential threats from climate change and deciding it's all going to be all going to be too expensive to do anything about it I mean we've got rec- we had record temperatures in Rome and throughout Italy last week um, this comes on top of a heat wave in Europe last year so um, uh, and, we're, and and there are immediate effects of this hospital hospitals in Italy are seeing an uptick in heat related hospitalizations they're saying throughout Europe a third of hospitalizations are due to the um, uh, due to the uh, uh, the heat wave that occurred throughout most of southern Europe, la- well, all of southern Europe last last week. Um, temperatures hitting staggering levels. Um, 
I, I did see tourists trotting around Rome, around the Colosseum and so forth, all, all struggling a bit. Um, most of Europe's not really built for um, for high temperatures in terms of prov- the provision of air conditioning and so forth. We're seeing uh, um, Athens is facing its hottest July w- weekend in 50 years with temperatures forecast to soar above 40 Celsius as the nation and others in southern Europe, such as Italy and Spain, swelter. Uh, 30,000 people were evacuated from the island of Rhodes due to wildfires, wildfires throughout Greece at the moment. And then we move over to the US. This is a north northern hemisphere, not a, not a European issue. Um, big, big problems in the southwest there. Uh, according to Axios, the dangerous, long-lived and record-breaking heat wave in the United States is set to continue across large portions of the US west into the northern plains and across parts of Florida, Texas and the Gulf Coast. Nearly 78 million people were under heat alerts in the US uh, come Sunday evening, just gone on as health officials report a spike in call-outs. Um, uh, Phoenix, Phoenix's record run of consecutive days with a temperature at or above 110 Fahrenheit continued for the 24th Sunday uh, as uh, <coughs> temperatures at the uh, International Airport there exceeded, uh, exceeded uh, 110 uh, again, and this is 24 days in a row, Jax. In China, a remote township in China's arid northwest endured temperatures of more than 52 degrees, Jack. So what we're seeing is just what the scientists are telling us we, are ex- we should be expecting to see, and that is heat waves more intense, last longer, uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, more, uh, as I say, bring higher temperatures. You know, we've had heat waves before, um, but these are heat waves that are repeating. So we talked about heat waves in northern Europe last year. We talked about them extensively, and we talked about how they had, you know, how the effects of that were going to go, and 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 with the, the energy crisis Europe was in, how it was all going to pan out. And now, of course, we're we're still in Europe. We're still across. And, and these uh, these record temperatures are occurring in the Middle East as well. So we've got a we've got a significant problem. It's just that the, the responses don't seem to be getting us there. We really have, have to decarbonise our economies, but or decarb decarbonise the the global economy. But the one probably the technology isn't doesn't exist or is too expensive, uh, and, and then we'll have a bit of rorting going on as well. Um, or we <coughs> change tack and say we'll um, uh, we'll fix things, we'll fix the consequences rather than trying to try the course. I, I might just say the IPCC um, uh, re- latest report that's 2021. Um, the it does say that uh, that the one area where um, uh, uh, climate change has had an effect over and above natural variability is extreme heat waves. Yeah, right. Um, but but while, we're, while we're on the subject, I also say that it doesn't think that there's that climate change has had an effect above natural variability for a whole lot of other things that the media um, says it does. And that includes river floods, severe windstorms, tropical cyclones, sand and dust storms, heavy snowfall and ice storm, hail, snow avalanche, coastal flooding, etc., etc. The IPCC say that they are still within the bounds of natural vari- variability, but the one exception is heat waves. 
Yeah, and, and look, we are Sam, and God knows. I mean, I'm so, just. So, so I have to ask ourselves the question: Is are we going to try and decarbonise the economy, or are we just going to air condition a whole lot more of the place? <laughs> well, if we're going to air condition it, we're going to make it worse, Jack. Mm. The, the, I actually look at at, at uh, the Australian summer with a real sense of dread here. It, it's been very dry in eastern Australia for a long time. We had a, a hell of a lot of rain, and this is the pattern. So, you know, I, I remember that that idiot uh, Crackers Kelly was talking like uh, like an expert on these things. So I actually took my own that is the, that is uh, rainfall and temperature measurements going back to 1838 uh, in my own part of the uh, part of the world. It's the Southern Highlands. Well, you had them in your diary, did you? Back to 1838. No, you can you can pull them up, of course. You can pull <laughs> yeah. them up, of course. Because well, I just remember. Oh God, it was on Sky News, and Alan Jones and Richo were saying how comprehensively crackers have looked at all of this. So I thought, oh, I'll have a look at this. Because crackers said, no, there's no, no, nothing to worry about. And and what the, and just a, just in our own, my own neck of the woods, yeah, there's no variation in terms of of, of average annual rainfall. <clears throat> so it's so this idea that it's not hot or dry longer. But basically what you get is your rainfall in the space of about five days. You get your average rainfall, often often with flooding attached to it, and then you are seeing spikes in temperature. So very dry so far in, in eastern Australia for the last couple of months. We got a lot of fuel build up because we did get a lot of rain uh, over the over the summer um, over the summer period. Um, you've got very still days, Jack. This is the other thing. Very still days, and I know that's weather, not climate. Um, where you normally get your very strong uh, southwesterlies, you know we've had a few days like that, but not many. So it means that burn-offs are very, very difficult to do if things are so still. So I do very much worry about how Eastern Australia is going to cope this summer, and I think it's going to be a real hot one. Yeah, well, I can remember um, going up to uh, the Southern Highlands for your 40th birthday, and by God, it was cold. <laughs> Oh, it's still cool, mate. I mean, the, the days are the days. Well, today's a little bit of an exception. We had beautiful days where the temperature doesn't get much more than eleven or twelve, but bright sunny days, not a cloud in the sky, or very few. Uh, and then at night, that means it gets very cold. Um, so we're into the minuses and so forth, uh, like Canberra is too. Um, um, but uh, yeah, just, just really worried about how 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 Australia will cope again and um, uh, whether we're going to have. Because if you do get hot, hot or dry or longer in Australia, you're going to have bushfires. There's no doubt about that. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, Poland, Jack. It's uh, is it going to be the uh, the mouse that roared uh, economically? Well, in Europe and beyond. Uh, certainly, in a um, uh, in a strategic and security sense, it's um, going to change. It looks like it's changing um, the equation, changing the face of how NATO works, right. um, shifting NATO east, because the yes. Poles are um, uh, are the only people. I think their, their uh, defence spending this year is up twenty percent, um, mm. uh, and it will be um, about three percent of its GDP. Um, uh, whereas I think the Germans are about 0.5% uh, and the French uh, not very uh, much what's, what's the NATO requirement? Uh, the NATO requirement's two. Yeah. NATO's two. So Germany's still 1.5 behind? Yep. 
Uh, that's that's sort of so, so, the, so the Poles are buying uh, a thousand battle tanks from the Koreans, um, 630, 673 self-propelled howitzers, uh, and um, and on and on and on the list goes. Right. Um, uh, fighter fighter jets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, uh, they're taking the situation much more seriously than the more Western Europe uh, European countries. Um, Andrew Neil, a distinguished journalist, was talking to a senior figure in the Polish government um, who put it this way: uh, uh, "If you're going to have a, if you're going to have good, very good um, uh, relations with the Russians, then you have to be ready to fight them, and you have to be equipped to win." Can I just go a little bit further with that, Jack? That there is a deep historical enmity between the Poles and the Russians. Yes, for um, unremarkable, uh, uh, unbelievable, really, isn't it? You know, the, 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 yeah, yeah. The, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> there's there's plenty of bad blood there. Mm. I, I I just recall sometime last year, probably around June or July, there was a there was a Ukrainian uh, missile misfire that landed uh, in Polish territory, and for a while there, and in fact, some media didn't adjust their reports for a while, for a couple of days. Um, it was thought that it was a Russian missile launch on a NATO uh, signatory in the in the case of Poland, and the Poles were ready to go. They were <laughs> getting the tanks out and going, "Let's go to Moscow. Let's go all the way." Uh, until it uh, until the Ukrainians got up and apologised, and, and it contained an extremely amusing scene where the where there, there were two people killed by the missile attack. Uh, and the Ukrainian army uh, went to uh, went to the village uh, or went to the town nearest town, uh, and were fated by the mayor uh, of the town uh, for coming along, paying him a visit. And they gave him a rocket launcher, Jack. They gave him a bazooka uh, by way of a by way of a diplomatic gift. And he kills all oh, the whiz. Uh, and then he uh, <laughs> he fired it in an office and blew the place up. Uh, which was very, very funny. Um, oh, is this the button? Is this what you press? Mm. <laughs> blew the roof off the blew, blew the roof off the public building. Uh, no one was hurt in the uh, in the bazooka fire, but it was very, very funny. But yeah, the Poles and the Russians do not get on, and for solid historical reasons. Yeah, but the, the, it's not just the rise of Poland, but it's the um, uh, uh, bringing in the Baltic states, uh, yes. not the Baltic states, into the the, the other Scandinavian states into NATO. Um, uh, uh, yep. Finland and Sweden, etc. Um, uh, that's going to shift the centre of gravity from NATO, from oh, Ger- from Germany and France, um, further east. Um, to and east, yeah. the good news is that these people are practical and serious and serious about it, and, and going to spend enough money to make I, it work. I, I think it actually is a good move, and it must terrify Putin. I mean, let's 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 just look at this. I mean, we talked about the polls, but if you live. Uh, you lived in one of the Baltic states. If you lived in Estonia, for example, and indeed Finland, for that matter, without NATO support, you know you must feel a sense of vulnerability uh, from Russian aggression. Uh, and um, uh, the Finns now uh, said they'd never join NATO, um, uh, but now, of course, they have. They would routinely look at, look across their waters and and see. Uh, a Russian uh, nuclear sub, nuclear subs popping up near enough to their coast. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, I mean, this is. I, I think there's no bad news in any of this. No. No. <coughs> All right. Um, yeah. God love the poles. 
Um, EU and the UK, Jack. And we're talking Brexit now. Now, I noticed uh, former UK Treasury economist Julian Jessup is pointing out, is pointing out that uh, the UK is going better than Germany at the moment. But that's not Europe, is it? It's just Germany. Yes, just Germany. Um, uh, and I think that's not so much a measure of um, uh, how well the, U- the UK is going. It's a measure of how badly Germany is. That's exactly right, because yeah. there are some problems there, aren't there? Yeah, there are. Um, one of those is... The manufacturing base for cars, for automobiles, is shifting. Uh, and and a lot are being built in China, a lot are being built in India, a lot are being built uh, in the Philippines, uh, and uh, and having uh, a high labour um, um, uh, uh, manufacturing base like Germany is is going to be a problem. And that's, that's not that people aren't going to buy BMWs and Audis, but, but those BMWs and Audis are, are likely to be um, manufactured and not so much in Germany anymore. Yes. Um, I noticed that's, one thing... That- and that's in large part because they're pricing themselves out of the market and in part that's part of their energy policy. Just to take off on a little bit of a tangent, check. I noticed a really significant thing, or it may not be all that significant, but, but the, um, uh, 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 the base wage in China... Um, is now more expensive than it is in Mexico. Mm. And that will tell, you know, your, your, your global capitalists, you know, that, well, maybe we should, we, we should be shifting our manufacturing base to Mexico. Yeah, I'm aware of a company that's um, um, in the p- process of being um, swallowed up by an American um, uh, organisation. Um, mm-hmm. They now manufacture in Australia, but they'll be manufacturing in Mexico before very much longer. Yeah. Okay, so the, we are going to see a shift there. I mean, good news for Mexico. Mm. Maybe not so good for, for China as they, as they go forward with their huge manufacturing base if it becomes more expensive than it does in other parts of the world that are delivering, you know, manufacture, have the, have, have the, the wherewithal to deliver um, uh, even high-tech uh, manufacturing gear. And, and, um, and indeed, on a, in a local level here in, in, in Asia, um, there's a lot of manufacturing that's moving out of China, as China's getting pricier and to Vietnam. places into Vietnam and um, and, mm. and and into India. Yeah. So the things that you need there, if you're going to be one of these um, one of these countries, is one low low labour unit cost, and two a, an intelligent, ed, well educated population mm. that can be quickly trained to come mm. online. And, 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 and Vietnam, fits, and Vietnam and Mexico bill. tick those boxes. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So there you go. Anyway, we are having a bit of a look. If we look at UK and Brexit uh, compared to the Eurozone, uh, the, the UK is is going, well, we wouldn't say backwards, but it is much slower. The Eurozone's GDP is a pretty tepid 2.2, uh, and the UK GDP in quarter one was 0.5 lower than that. So um, we have seen a lot of... Uh, <laughs> excuse me, European economies and global economies uh, go through rapid GDP growth post-pandemic. What we what we need to see now is some more data over the next couple of years just mm. to see where the UK stands in, in terms of Europe, uh, where the Brexit is really cutting in to its, uh, to its GDP and its GDP per capita, whether people have been plunged into poverty it would have otherwise not been there or whether living standards are going to decrease in the UK as compared to 
uh, as compared to uh, other other European nations. And there are lots of variables as well. And, and Germany as a huge manufacturing hub is under a great deal of pressure. France is going beautifully at the moment, Jack. Mm. Uh, and uh, got, well, well, apart from the well, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. apart from the occasional, uh, um, <laughs> you know, arson uh, and uh, and fire bombings and uh, and riots on the streets, going beautifully, but their, their economy's going well. Yeah. I'd suggest one of the principal reasons for that is that they have got a more solid, substantial energy policy than the rest of Europe. Yes, um, we, we, we won't mention the N word. They well, it's down. Don't they, they, Constitutionally, they're now moving it down to fifty percent from seventy percent. So it provided seventy. Now it's going to pro- provide fifty, and mm. the the uh, the makeup will or, or the balance will will come from renewables. Nothing wrong with French nuclear energy, except sometimes, Jack, when you get these very hot European summers, and they do happen a lot. They're going to have to shut down uh, production or reduce production because their rivers get too warm. Anyway, Ukraine and Russia, Jack. Um, we're not hearing much news at all from the uh, Eastern Ukrainian front. I've been looking hard, long and hard. There's not much there. Um, we know that Russian positions, they've spent basically the last six months um, uh, um, securing their positions, and that includes a lot of landmines, Jack, a lot of mm. landmines and anti-personnel mines. It's sort of wonderful. It's extraordinary footage, not wonderful, but extraordinary footage of a Ukrainian soldier. Uh, in, they're, they were engineers in the business of mine clearing, and uh, he put the foot on the landmine, and uh, he just went, well, I'll just get out, and he, <laughs> he just moved as quick as he could, and um, of course, the, uh, the landmine went off, and uh, he, he rolled away and then jumped up, and he was okay. Um a lot of landmines there, Jack, and that's sort of one of the reasons why the Ukrainians have requested cluster munitions. Yeah, it's going to make farming an interesting business, isn't it, for, for some years to come, isn't it? Well, landmines, the whole business, the whole business of landmines, cluster munitions, etc. Mm. what it does is just leave uh, explosives uh, lying around for, for, for years and years. Uh, we need only look at the situation in Cambodia, for example, where they're still digging landmines out of the out of the ground, um, and and often that leads well when they're not being when they're just being left there, it often leads to farmers just losing a limb uh, or indeed being killed by them. But that's why, and it was never really properly explained, Jack, why the cluster munitions were being brought in. It means you can clear landfills. It's not the most most efficient way of doing it, but it means you can clear large tracts of land that are mined very very quickly. Mm but you're going to leave a few explodey things around. Um, more, uh, more, importantly, is- more importantly, the big, the big news, um, biggest news, I think, I think the, the military stuff's sort of stalemated, but the Russians are talking about um, walking away from the, the deal that allowed the export of grain from uh, Russia and Ukraine uh, through Turkey. Um, and that's uh, something that we spoke we spoke about some time ago. Lot, it's got, yeah. It has a huge flow-on effects for the Middle East, Africa, etc. Well, I mean, how much how, how much authority does Russia have over these things now, Jack? It's a little bit hard to say, and 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 the reporting of where this deal's going is a bit murky at the moment. But it certainly seems to be back on the table, and so that's something we should keep an eye on. Keep an eye on, definitely we shall certainly do that. Um, Ukrainian 
grain, most of goes to the Middle East and Russia, doesn't it? Uh, 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 Middle East and North Africa, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it even gets uh, into South Africa, but uh, that's that, that's right. So, and we, we, brought, we did talk about U- Ukraine and NATO. Of course, there is a division there. The Ukrainians want to be signatories to NATO. I mean, I think that's... They want to be a NATO nation, and mm. uh, and NATO's not, and, and NATO can't. I mean, it basically, it, its own treaty says when you, when a state is in conflict, it cannot join NATO. Mm. So um, and that would have been fairly well understood by the Ukrainians as well. Um, what did you make of Keating's comments, Jack, about NATO uh, and bagging uh, Jens Stoltenberg and one or two others? Uh, I, I find it hard to sort of follow his uh, his train of thought these days. Generally, I've got to say, on this, there's, there's sort of an element of a of a bitter old bloke about some of it. You know, he's, he's sort of veering towards the Mike Carlton. You know? But this is a this is man. It was, I mean, you and I grew up in a time of, of tumult where we would have looked at NATO with an eyebrow raised. Mm. Uh, and you know, from the youthful left, um, and now to hear that from Paul Keating, it was always a centrist. It, it, it's kind of bizarre. Do you think he's? Is there a Chinese version of Kool Aid? There must be. Do you think he's had a bit of a swig? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. He I got think- a couple of schooners. Yeah. <laughs> must have necked a few, I think. It just sounds. Like, I mean, this was a guy who had a solid grasp of foreign policy as a prime minister, and he 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 just seems to have not adapted his thinking to a changing set of circumstances. Uh, well, I read it, and I thought I was reading something um, from the under from the undergraduate newspapers like Farago or Honi Soy or something. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's a little bit like that, wasn't it? Mm. And look, one thing we didn't really spell out, but of course, um, and it was always one of those things that was going to happen, but uh, the Turks were, um, uh, Turkey was not happy about uh, the Swedes joining uh, NATO. Um, um, Or more precisely, they saw an opportunity to force the Swedes to arrest a whole lot of Kurds in Sweden. There you go. Well put, Jack. And that's kind of what happened, wasn't it? You know, mm. the, and and this is the Kurdish Workers Party, which is yep. a listed terrorist organisation in Australia and in yes. the United States, mainly on pressure from Turkey. Yes, there was a fair bit of terrorism um, uh, in 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 Turkey. Bomb um, bombs going off in public buildings and what have you, and people killed. Uh, that was the direct work of the KWP. Um, uh, but then, of course, the Kurds came out and supported the US uh, in uh, in fighting Islamic State in um, uh, in northern Iraq and in Syria, uh, and uh, and all. But the Turks were not going to let that go, and so they've, uh, uh, as Sweden has asked to join, they said, "Ah, oh, we're not happy with you. You know, you've got you've got uh, you've got immigrants in Sweden who are members or linked to uh, the Kurdish Workers Party." And uh, you know you need to deal with them, and that's basically happened. So Sweden will now join NATO. That's the really big news. Yes, Sweden, Finland, uh, are new members of NATO who had historically said we don't want a bar of it. Hmm. Can I just ask you, Jack, what do you do about something like Austria? 
Now, Austria is not a NATO signatory, hmm. but it enjoys the benefits of the NATO defence umbrella, uh, uh, but um, refuses to engage in it. Uh, uh, and unlike NATO nations, uh, doesn't have to spend a big quid on its military um, and, uh, <coughs> and, can, and can basically sit there a little bit like the Swiss as well, but the Austrians particularly, because there was a particularly unpleasant fellow from Austria who caused quite a lot of trouble 60 or 70 years ago. Um, oh, God, no, sorry, what are we talking about? Um, uh, 80, 90 years ago. Uh, but they uh, seem to sort of get off scot-free. I'm not sure that I like that very much. Um, you mean they're just hiding behind Having the a skirts? They're hiding behind the skirts of NATO. They are. Um, uh, are they the New Zealand of, uh, of Middle Europe, are they? Well, I guess they're trying to be like the Swiss. Now, the Swiss I can come at because they've been like that for centuries. But the Austrians, mm, fair bit of history, a fair bit of history there. Um, and Anschluss and all sorts of things and Austrian soldiers yeah. fighting in World War Two with swastikas on them. I'm not entirely sure about that. We, we can't ignore the United States. Jack, um, Trump. Will he be charged again? <laughs> this will be the third lot of felonies. I think he's up to 71 individual felony counts now. I think that's right. Um, uh, I can't work out whether they keep charging him to make sure he's the um, Republican nominee or not. Well, I'm sure that's not a consideration of the DOJ, Jack. I mean, I'm sure that isn't. And, and really, I don't know. Uh, there are, I've looked at the sort of raft of felonies counts that he might be charged with um, uh, over the uh, January 6th um, unpleasantness uh, in DC. Uh, and uh, and so there, there are a raft of quite serious charges coming his way, possibly. Um, where it will be prosecuted is another matter. Um, but what amuses me is the um, his... Uh, his uh, political opponents within the Republican Party and how they deal with all of this, um, and, and some of some of these, you know, these prospective charges were put to people like Nikki Haley and uh, and um, um, <coughs> uh, DeSantis and and others. I mean, Christie's pretty clear about it. he doesn't like Trump at all, but the others sort of waffle their way through it. Oh well, yes, um, he probably shouldn't have done these things, but. You know, they're politicising the DOJ and all this kind of stuff. I mean, they, they really don't know what to do, these guys. They can't differentiate themselves from Trump. Yeah, well, their problem is that um, a, a, a very large chunk of America um, thinks that, uh, believes that Trump is being um, treated uh, unequally. Uh, um, well, yeah, there may be. I mean, when we're, t we're talking about those who have, again, drunk the Kool-Aid, drunk the Trump Kool-Aid, um, which is actually even cheaper than Kool-Aid, um, uh, and, uh, uh, and just the prospect of losing that chunk of votes is, and God knows, it's difficult to quantify. It may be as much as 40% of the GOP vote in total. It yeah, might it be, be more. Uh, and so they're, they're all sort of blindly shitting themselves. The only one I like is Chris Christie because he comes out and just calls a spade a spade. He just says, you know, Trump's a crook. You know, get over it. Um, did you see there's some there's some Quinnip 
Piak polling, Jack, that puts uh, Biden ahead uh, overall of Trump by five points. And in Michigan, which is a blue state, but one of the states the Republicans would like, and it's a possible swing state anyway, he's 18 it's points. It's one of the tr- states that Trump won in 2016. Yeah, yeah absolutely correct. And, 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 and certainly a swing state. Uh, and a potential gain, and and in Michigan on this Quinnipiac polling, which is highly regarded, he's 18 points behind Biden. So Trump's just a mile behind. So I just checked that out, uh, and that was from polling published late last week. Anyway, the, in the meantime, the Republicans have been having Hunter Biden um, uh, and 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 Robbie and Bobby Kennedy Jr. Um, congressional hearings. I mean, it's just bizarre. They seem to be living in an alternate universe. Yeah. Uh, well, it depends how it's going. I, mean, I think that the, the Democrats' problem is that I can sort of see where you could make out a um, an argument that uh, Biden's fit to do the job now, um, uh, but I don't see how you can make out an argument that he's going to be fit to do it for the next five years. Well, you could make the same argument about Ronald Reagan. He only lost one yeah. state when yeah, he was re-elected in what eighty four. But the difference the difference is that he had a a competent um, a vice president in George H W Bush. He wasn't no, was no star, but he was sort of basic and competent and all that sort of stuff. I don't oh, I think, think people are going to. There's, there's vote a very come good argument to make that uh, that um, perhaps things might run a little bit better. Uh, if uh, there's not a strong person in the White House, Jack, as long as you've got strong yeah, people be. around him or her. Could be. Anyway, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how uh, it goes. The, the, uh, the, 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 the best bit of the RFK thing, I don't know whether you caught the um, oh, the, 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 the video of him at a, in an Upper East Side restaurant. Um, uh, um, it wasn't anti-Semitic, by the way. I don't think that would, that would be stretching the definition, but it was a fairly unfortunate thing to be recorded saying uh, in that the he thought that perhaps the um, uh, there was a possibility that the COVID was bioengineered to yes. uh, to favour some ethnic groups over others. Um, well, let's let's not mess about with what he said. He he actually <laughs> he actually said that the, that bioengineered COVID was bioengineered that wouldn't affect the Chinese. Yeah. And and a group of Jewish people. So the, Ashken- the, the, the Ashkenazi Jews, Ashkenazi which are, which are Jews, yeah. essentially the European Jews. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So that that is, you know, that's not just um, fiddling with the edges of anti-Semitism. That is straight into the middle of it. He also maintained that he'd never um, uh, uh, um, uh, denounced childhood vaccinations and. Look, his own website's just full of it. Um, I I, I just think he's a a right-wing plant. I don't think there's too much doubt about that. There won't be a primary. Uh, He's not going to be involved in it, so he'll be screeching from the fringes, and that's where he belongs. I noticed that one of his sisters and one of his brothers and one of his nephews immediately came out and said that everything he said was wrong. It was all that sort of stuff. And one of the wags on Twitter had this response to it. So on a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is not brushing your teeth before going to bed and 10 is getting pissed, taking a young woman for a drive, missing out in the turn and driving the car into the water and then going back to your hotel for four hours while the woman drowned, just where on that scale does this uh, wrongness fall? 
Oh well, I don't know. Let's let's count it. Let's count it. We actually can quantify this, Jack, by the number of children who have died of measles in California. Mm. It's a lot more than one, by the way. Mm. All right, now we got to move on, Jack, because the ashes <laughs> have been retained. The ashes have been retained. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, speaking of climate change. By G. One of those climate change predictions, by the way, is Jackie's a lot of rain in uh, northern England. And there was a lot of rain in northern England last night, and particularly around Old Trafford. In fact, I think the further north you went, it looked, looked like it was time to build an ark. But around Old Trafford, not enough rain to be played. Uh, it, has led, it has led to another um, uh, outburst from what is it? It's actually becoming a national pathology um, uh, for the UK. They are, they are whining about the weather in their own country. Mm. Now, there's no doubt they are. Yeah, yeah uh, rain, rain in Manchester. Who'd have thought it? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the first day's play. The sun was out. Beautiful day. I think it was probably mid-20s uh, in Manchester, which means you're going to see a lot of a lot of very pink skin from blacks lifting their shirts off around that part of the world. And uh, and uh, they said, what, what's that big yellow thing in the sky? Um, but anyway, <laughs> the, the test was drawn. The, uh, the ashes has been re- have been retained by Australia. It must be said, uh, and, uh, and, and you'd have to be a mug to think otherwise, that England comprehensively outplayed Australia in the fourth test. Um, uh, they just nudged Australia to, uh, out to win in Headingley, and, of course, Australia won the first two. Um, <clears throat> it looked to me, on that third day's play, I don't know how much you, you saw, Jack, that Australia had no answer. It was... Um, Gideon Hay and, and, and Peter Lawler both said it was the day we feared and that was right. That was the day when Basball came out. We didn't have too many answers. We didn't have a spinner in the side. We had a batting lineup that went all the way to Kerry at eight and um, and we only made 320. Um, <laughs> that was probably the big, the big problem. Um, so what do we do? The, the, you know, basically, uh, the oval well, was, starts was, on Thursday. It was, was kind of worse than that. Um, that tactically, they were um, their tactics fell apart. Their bowling fell apart. The fielding was terrible. Um, yeah. uh, it, it was. It looked like a, a the side was becoming a shambles. The side was falling apart. Um, uh, even on social media, uh, who, who was having a go at them? Uh, Jamie Cox, um, uh, who now works in England, I think works for the MCC, um, uh, he was saying, well, when you're reduced to setting a field in the hope that someone mishits a I hit know. into the outfield. Oh, the bowling um, was terrible. The bowling was terrible. Um, uh, and I, and uh, Darren Berry, the Victorian captain and wicketkeeper, was jumping in and suggesting that he thought that Cummings would um, um, uh, resign. Well, he's going to resign, retire, yeah, retire resign in shame. I thought that was a bit off. He certainly had a very, very bad day. <laughs> had a day. bad day. Had yeah. a bad day. Um, Third uh, day was a shocker. A bad day as captain, a bad day as a bowler. Yep. Um, but these things will happen in cricket. But they will. 
Um, uh, I think probably a little bit of thought as to if things are going that badly, um, you know, maybe the reins do get handed over to Smith for the afternoon to um, uh, while, while it's um, you know to, to come up. Some- uh, yeah, look, they had um, um, this is the thing with Basball, and and they seem to have been sort of sucked into bowling the wrong lines and lengths, and so they bowl way too short, far too often, and set fields basically. Deep, deep leg side fields, uh, and then just. But I mean, that immediately means there's pretty much only one way you can get out, and that's court. You know, I mean, we'll forget about handling the ball and running and <laughs> obstructing the field, but that's the only way you can get out. And 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 really, they just needed to bowl at the stumps, vary their paces. Yes, they could go for runs, but. They miss you hit, and and if you had a look at the uh, the uh, the opener who bat- the England opener who batted beautifully, Zach Crowley we got the one eighty nine. He played a hell of a lot of false shots. I mean, that's the nature of the way he bats, and and the way most of the England side do bat. That they'll play a lot of false shots. They'll play and miss. They'll play the big windy windy wolf and miss the ball. So that makes it for me even more contingent to. Sp- to bowl, not at the top of off, bowl at the pegs. It's one of the first things you taught when you were a kid. See those three wooden things there the other end? Hit them. And then you've yeah, got LBs, um, uh, then you've got bowl, then you've got all sorts of ways of getting blokes out. <coughs> uh, tactically speaking, I thought they were reduced to what, what in country cricket we used to call bowling for a run out. Um, uh, that was the only what, the only way going to get out. Um, uh, it, it, this reached its height, I think, when uh, Jimmy Anderson and um, Mark Bester were um, uh, were batting, um, uh, and by any reasonable assessment, assessment, Jimmy Anderson is a number eleven's number eleven. Well, um, but, yeah, I know, and we'll yeah. talk about him in a minute. That, um, look, the and, following and day, the fourth day. They, the the and, bowling was a lot better. They took and, the new but, note. But, but, even, but even then, you're bowling at Jimmy Anderson um, uh, and what you have to do is, is blindingly obvious. You've got to bowl at his stumps because he's not good enough to keep hitting it um, and you're uh, doing anything else to him is a waste of time. Well, they, they, they did get him out. <laughs> Eventually, when they bowled Best at his was stumps. 99 not out at, down the yeah. other end. He's not uh, exactly and, and, batting and, and in so, partnerships, was he? And he's, and, and he's walked across his stumps and tried to spack the ball through through the leg side, Jimmy, with his mate down the other end just needing one more for 100. I thought mm. that was pretty awful too. Um, um, but, uh, Jimmy, you're not going to get – you know, you're not going to get uh, the, the best of batting, but I thought at least, mate, just just dead bat a couple, <laughs> get yeah. to the end of the anyway, over and fabulous, get your mate fa- Fabulous series. Um, uh, I noticed in Australia the ratings are through the roof. Um, yeah, uh, they are. It, it actually outrated uh, the NRL in uh, Sydney and Brisbane despite being on a minor channel, and it yeah. outrated the AFL in, um, in, uh, in Melbourne, Adelaide and Perth. It's huge, mate, and so it should be. And there's been some very, very good cricket. Um, we can uh, analyse the first two. Uh, you know, uh, I think England made some errors there. Australia won them anyway. Uh, Headingly, uh, a, a narrow victory for England, and this one a comprehensive uh, moral victory um, that was interrupted by rain. Um, so we go to the Oval on Thursday, Jack. We <laughs> just wrap things up. Maybe the boys have put the feet up for a while while it's just poured down at Old Trafford. 
The weather, by the way, the forecast for London is not flash uh, over the next week, uh, so there may be some more rain interruptions. But you really, these guys, the bowlers particularly, have only got a few days to recover. I think that impacts both sides. Um, for for mine, I think Cummins looks exhausted. And let's not forget, Australia had to play that test, had to play the, the World Championship test ahead. So they're, they're coming into their sixth test um, in, in the space of basically two months. Um, so what do we do to refresh that side, Jack? Oh, I don't know. I've uh, got to bring in a spinner for starters. Well, um, bold call it might be. Michael Neeser into that side. Um, Michael Neeser, I think Stark has been uh, has bowled pretty pretty well. And you always go with the left armour because just even the, even the more experienced um, uh, batters just haven't had don't have that experience with a left arm quick, and so it becomes difficult for them to play. So one two, I I know Hazelwood took six. I thought he I thought he looked like he was either short of a run or uh, just bit, a bit of a, out of form. So maybe Boland, um, you know Cummins is going to play, and I think you're absolutely right. We've got to play. Um, uh, got to play uh, the young Victorian from uh, Wangaratta. Uh, no, probably Chuka, I think. Oh, no, he's Wangaratta boy. No, it's uh, a Chuka. Anyway, um, Todd Murphy needs yeah, to come in Bendigo, that side. I think. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the batting, I don't think, I don't think there's much to do there. Uh, people are saying drop Warner, drop Warner, but they've been saying to drop Warner for two years. I mean, I think certainly Dave Warner hasn't been the worst of them. Um, and, and he's been getting, he's been taking the shine off the ball, doing the opener's job most of the time, um, but just not getting go, going on. And really, you just have to accept that. Uh, Labashane's in a bit of form, and I think we need to take our hats off for the way he batted on day four uh, and day three, day and, and day four. The way he batted there was terrific um, with uh, with Mitchell Marsh. Uh, Cameron Green looks like a very tired cricketer to me, Jack. He does. Uh, young Blake uh, probably could do with a spell, and that's no knock on him. And I just think, yeah, you you, you take Murphy in for Green, just just give him a rest, um, and uh, and uh, and play uh, and play Mitch Marsh, who's is at least in very good batting form. Yeah, uh, uh, and that's that's how I'd go about it. Michael Neeser, I'd be happy to see him walk at a crease at number eight. The um uh, England won't do it, but um, because a, a, a central tenet of, of baseball is you got to look after your mates. Um, but they should play the young um, uh, Pakistani-born fella Ahmed Rehan. Yeah, who, and who look, looks a real cricketer to me. Well, let's look at where they need to make some changes. Uh, you would, you look at Jimmy Anderson, and and you know, again, well, we'll play him, we'll get, we'll nurse him along, but he's he's, he's cooked. He's just making up the numbers at the moment. Um, uh, uh, Moeen Ali is a, a wonderful, wonderful cricketer. Let's get, and, and I'd certainly continue to play him um, uh, because he's just you know he, he is the ultimate utility. You can play, him, but batted bat, bat at three and got some very important runs. Uh, and while his bowling's not not great, uh, he still has that capacity to pick up a wicket. Look, they don't really have a keeper. I mean, everyone's saying, oh, Burstow's kept a bit better. I mean, I mean, the whole idea of playing a guy who broke his leg two years ago and hasn't, you know, hasn't kept wickets and all that sort of stuff, all the, all the excuses they've, they've, they've made for him and he's made for himself, 
It just means, you know, they're vulnerable there. And probably, without wanting to get into the specifics of it too much, they have a decent keeper there. They probably win a series. They're probably ahead uh, of yeah. the series. Yeah, a couple already. of English mates of mine say that. Pick Ben Folks and we're and we uh, and we're two one up at least. Well, you can't pick him at the moment because he's just getting over surgery. I think he's still in hospital, so yeah. so he can't play. So they they won't make too many changes, but they, they probably do need to. Where they made the changes, and and they were changes that you know due to injury were made. I mean, the first two tests, their bowling looked half rat power. Uh, and then they brought in uh, and brought in Wood, who is very very fast, um, but does have trouble getting back and coming back. Um, so you know, uh, consecutive tests don't suit him at all. Uh, and Wokes, who's been terrific, uh, those two additions have really changed uh, the way England uh, have been able to perform. Moving on, Jack, the Women's World Cup. Talk about ratings winners. Two million Australians watched the kickoff between Australia and Ireland, and and uh, and the gun, the gun striker. She she didn't make it. She had a uh, had an injury. They kept it very quiet because they weren't quite sure just how badly injured she was. But she will return to the uh, the run on side very soon. Um, and uh, it's just. Talks, it just speaks to the, the level of support for soccer, football in this country, particularly around the women's, particularly around the women's side. I mean, I just there are so many women and girls watching this. It's just terrific. Yep. Good We've got say. the Rugby World Cup not too far away. It kicks off uh, on the eighth of September. France is the host site there. Jack um, uh, and uh, the French play the All Blacks, so they're in the same pool. Uh, and, and with the final to be played on the twenty eighth of October, boy, gee, that's at a leisurely French pace. That uh, the whole tournament there, isn't it? Really, you've got what? Well, it's a game. It's a game. You need, it's a game. You need a few days to get over. To be well, fair, the cricketers have just finished playing five. I mean, one of them with the feet up, but uh, and they're going to turn up again in three days. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, yes, you, you're quite right. Uh, the, the boys, the boys do need a bit of a rest. Uh, Australia's in the pool in Pool C with Wales and Fiji, uh, and Pool B is the tough one: South Africa, Ireland, and Scotland. Ireland probably the best side in in world rugby at the moment, Jack. Is that uh, right? Probably the second best after France. After France, okay. Mm. Uh, pool A is New Zealand, France, and Italy. Um, pool D also tough: England, Japan, and Argentina. It'll be a fascinating series, won't it? Yeah, and uh, uh, big ch- uh, almost, almost certainly Australia won't have won uh, another Test match before the World Cup starts. We're going to give Collingwood a bit of a rap too before we go, Jack. By gee, they're playing well, and uh, be really, really sad to see them fall off, uh, fall out, fall out of form this weekend or on Friday night when they play the Blues. Charlie's just kicked ten against the Eagles. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you saw his first goal. He's taken a mark just on the fifty meter arc, and then he's he's gone to pass, and the ball's just dribbled off his foot and continued dribbling all the way through the goals. And you thought. I just remember watching it going, 
he's going to have a big day. Uh, mm. And uh, he popped up and kicked 10. So Carlton played Collingwood, probably Carlton the best side uh, outside of Collingwood, best side in form. They've won the last five by 50 points plus, And they're up against the might of Collingwood on Friday night with a few injuries, I'm sad to say. So uh, I think the Pies will get the job done. They're, they're in terrific form at the moment. Best will side it, in will the it com- outrate the cricket? Oh, no. God, no. Um, um, the AFL might like to think so, but it won't happen. So there the, we um, go, uh, Jack. I just think that's great to see that Test cricket is um, is back in red hot form. Oh, look, it's Ashes. Australia plays India. The numbers are huge. The television numbers are huge around the world. It's uh, when we start playing. You know, when when when. Uh, New Zealand play South Africa. Oh. West Indies play uh, India. I mean, well, well, the, well, the, not India. India is playing West. India is playing West Indies at the moment. No one knows. Yeah, well, they they, they got washed out. Jack, <laughs> they had rain. Um, I think. Uh, I, don't, I didn't see the final scores. I think uh, India, uh, Rohit Sharma got them away to a, a blazing start. Then the rain came down in the West Indies. Never rains there. Uh, so that's our wrap of sport, Jack. What do you got to take us out? Uh, one of my favourite people on Twitter, Kyle Smith, who's the, I think he's the th- now the movie critic for the Wall Street Journal, um, uh, but he writes in all sorts of stuff. Um, and his comment was, the major disadvantage of Twitter is that everyone is very rude and constantly fighting with, <laughs> with one another. Um, his next tweet was, the major advantage of Twitter is that everyone is very rude and constantly fighting with one another. Um, and, but the third comment down, someone said, that's exactly why I like Twitter. It's just like my family. Yeah. yeah. Don't know. Don't know. Don't know where it's going to go. I'm spending less time on Twitter these days. It's not a political move. It's, I do find it just a little bit too argumentative, Jack. You know, there's always something. Oh, come uh, on, someone come on. Will- this is this is Jack the insider finding something too argumentative. I don't oh, know. it's 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 tiresome. It's tiresome. I don't I don't have the time to be picking fights. Well, I don't pick fights. Some <laughs> some someone will come out and have a blue, and I'll, uh, I'll never let them down. Some, some of our listeners are going to be well and truly unconvinced by this. I find it exhausting these days. But no, look, my DMs are always open. So if you want to drop us a line, in fact, I want to just do. If I go to my Twitter DMs, I just uh, uh, just want to raise uh, an issue from one of our uh, one of our really uh, regular uh, regular listeners, Jack, uh, who um, had some uh, had some ideas on the Chess cricket. So I'll just flick it to you, just just to uh, give you an idea. Um, He said, uh, "Well, we, we we cover the Commonwealth Games. He's actually more interested in the pylon." Um, um, by self-proclaimed experts about the damage to Victoria's and Australia's reputation in the cancellation of the Games, Jack. John Willey said the damage is irreparable. Uh, Captain Stubbings here said, fuck off, irreparable. Can't be repaired ever. Doesn't he know what the word means? Uh, His bullshit comment gets picked by MSM, presumably for the clicks and not for the newsworthiness of it. I guess we're far too far down the rabbit hole to stop supposedly professional media outlets from running this shit, but do you think there is any way it can be stopped? Uh, and as a professional and respected journal, how does seeing this shit make you feel about your profession? Oh, I don't know, Jack. Um, I don't know, Captain Stubbings. I... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's just another day, isn't it? Mm, it is. All right. Look, thanks very much for your time and your opinions and analysis today, Jack. Uh, and you uh, can be hit up uh, on your Substack. Just yell that out for me, please. Yeah, Hong Kong Jack at Substack.com. Hong Kong Jack dot Substack.com. And I'm on oh, Twitter there some t- somewhere as Hong Kong Jack as well. Yeah, something about Hong Kong Jack. Hong Kong, it's not Hong Kong Jack, it's something else, isn't it? It's you're, Hong Kong Jacko, I think being, it is, yeah. You're yeah. being devious. Uh, yeah. I don't know why, but well, I, I had to be devious to get, to get a handle, so I think so. Oh, I see. Fair enough. Well, it's tough times with Elon Musk. What, he, he, what, he dropped 20, 20, billion, <laughs> 20 billion on Friday. He's having a tough time, mate. Um, and look, yeah, as I say, if you want to hit us up about the show, you can hit me up on, uh, hit, hit Jack up on his Substack there, or you can hit me up on. Um, uh, my, my DMs are always open. I'm going to the DMs first these days. Um, yeah, well, if, you, if, if you're worried about Jack the Insider getting a little bit too, you know, sensitive about um, the argy-bargy, just have a crack on my substack. <laughs> have a crack there. If you want to have a fight, Jack will give you a blue. There you go. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, you can hit us up on the, uh, the conditional release program at gmail.com if you want to be more formal about things. Thanks for listening, uh, uh, listeners, and, uh, and we'll be back with you next week.